right, guys. Well, we've been in this series on spiritual warfare, and um, I'm going to. Um, I want to. Um, I want to pray. <laughs> Uh, just join me for just a moment. Our Heavenly Father, we want to just bless you. I thank you for um, Ryan and his testimony. Thank you for the good work that you're doing in him. I thank you for the words that have been spoken here this morning in our worship, our time with you. And Father, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would just fall upon me now, Lord. Remove my flesh from anything that might be said. And we pray that just life and light would flow uh, from, the, uh, from my mouth, from my tongue this morning. Lord, I pray that you would break every yoke. Lord God, give us ears to hear and a heart that would understand what the Spirit is saying to us this morning collectively as a church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week we were talking about spiritual warfare. We talked about uh, that, that there are two kingdoms in this world. There's a kingdom of light, which we call the kingdom of God. There's also the kingdom of darkness, which we call the kingdom of Satan. And... Uh, we just said that, 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 you know, both God and Satan have a plan for your life. God's plan for you is for, for good. He says, uh, we have the scripture written out there, Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, God says, I know that my thoughts, my intentions, my plans for you are for good and not for evil. I have a hope. I have, um, you know, I have a future in store for you. We also know that the Bible says that Satan has a kingdom and that uh, his plan is to hinder the work of God, to thwart the word of God, and to keep you from being all that God wants you to be. Number one, his first goal is, is number one, is to keep you from accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And number two, if that doesn't work and you come to the saving knowledge, you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, his second, his second strategy, option plan B, is to keep you ineffective, keep you from doing what God wants you to do or what God has called you to do. I'm going to give you a couple of examples of that today, and then we're going to look at the life of both Peter and um, King Saul. Is two men who, tra uh, who Satan uh, uh, brought this attack against and um, was successful in one, not successful in the other. But in John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking, and he says, I tell you the solemn truth. The one who does not enter by the sheepfold, but by the door, climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one that doesn't come in through the door, but tries to come in through some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And so what Jesus is saying, he says, I'm the door. And, and there's a wall around this door, and inside are the sheep. But someone is trying to get into the sheep, Someone is trying to get into the sheep. They won't come through the door, so they're going to try to come in a different way. And what they're going to do is they try to scale the wall. And if we look at the prophet Joel, in the book of Joel, it talks about this horde, this vast army that comes against the people of God. And it says they scale the walls. They come over the wall and through the windows. They don't come through the main gates. They have found a breach. Why would you spend your time you know, trying to hammer down these, these very strong doors that we understand that Samson was able to pick up the city gates and walk away with them because of this powerful strength that, you know, God had given him. And so we see him walk, uh, walk away with the city gates. But there is an enemy that's trying to get into your life that won't come in through the door, that will try to come in through either windows or, or scale the walls or any way that he can possibly get in 
other than through the door, because Jesus is at the door, guarding the door. And then we read again in John chapter 10, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, that I am the door for the sheep, and uh, all who came before me were thieves and robbers. Keep that in your mind, thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will come and go out and find pastures. The thief, again, the one that won't come through the door, the thief, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And as I talked about you know, earlier, that Satan has, this is his goal. You know, if he can't keep you from coming to the Lord, if he can't hinder you, your effectiveness in the Lord, his job is to rob, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And then Jesus is speaking. And Jesus said to those Jews that believed, notice this, those Jews that believed in him, he said, if you abide in me and my uh, word abides in you, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, he's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to believers that the truth, knowing the truth, will set you free, set you free from what? And we're going to cover that in just a moment. And then we pick up in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, I don't want you to be angry. He said, don't sin by nursing your grudge. Okay, he's talking about being angry and having a grudge. This would also equate to unforgiveness in our lives. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Get over it quickly. For when you're angry, and you can just, you know, replace angry with, you know, any of these other words, you give a mighty foothold to the devil. This is the opening of the door uh, for the enemy. I want to begin with and just kind of run through quickly the, uh, the life of King Saul. He was the first king of, king, of, of king of Israel. And when we think about, when typically when I think about, maybe you do as well, when you think about the first sin of Saul, what do you think about? Shout it out. It's his first sin. What do you think it was? Was it? Disobedience and, okay. Somebody else? King Saul. King Saul. Rebellion. Okay, she's saying rebellion. All right. So, uh, the, you, know, we, you know the story, and I'll get to it in just a moment. But remember, God told him, he says, I want you to go kill the Amalekites. Remember that story? And, uh, you know, he saved some of the best sheep and saved some of the... He said, I want you to wipe out everything. I want you to wipe out the Amalekites. I want you to wipe out everything they had. And, uh, you know, then the prophet goes to him and says that you've sinned. But that wasn't the first time. The first time that he sinned is when the, uh, you know, uh, Samuel told him to go and wait. The Philistines were coming, and uh, he began to wait, and he waited. And he, the time period was seven days. And this is kind of interesting because it says that, now let me just read this from First um, uh, uh, Samuel chapter 13. It says, the battle with Israel and the Philistines had amassed to, the Philistines had 3,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and an army as numerous as the sand on the seashore. That's a pretty big army. It says, and when the men of Israel realized they had a problem because their army was hard-pressed, 
And so the army began to hide in the caves and thickets and cliffs and strongholds and cisterns. And some of the Hebrews even crossed the Jordan River. I mean, they, they looked at that army and they said, we are out of here. They are way bigger than we are. And it says that, that Saul had about 6,000 men with him. But when they saw the, the army of the Philistines, it says his army went from 6,000 to 600. And he's looking at all of that. And, um, and then Saul gets, you know, he sees his men leaving, and he decides that not only is he going to be the king, but he's going to be the prophet and the priest as well. He begins to make the sacrifice, offering the sacrifice. And about that time, Samuel shows up and says, what in the world are you doing? And he says, I, you know, I got, we got tired of waiting. We were losing the army. And uh, Samuel says to him, you know, you have sinned. And because, of you, because you have sinned, you know, you're going to lose the kingdom. God had intended to give you this kingdom and have you to be king forever. But you have sinned, and now God has found a man after his own heart, a man that would be obedient. So we see his first, uh, the first sin that Saul had was, I mean, you know, all of these things play in. Fear plays in. Um, disobedience to God's word plays in. Uh, you know, just not trusting in God. All of these things plays in. And then we see in this example that I was giving earlier about the Amalekites, uh, Samuel says, um, you know, or excuse me, Saul says, we saved. We saved the best of the lambs and the sheep and the rams and the oxen. We, we went through their stock. We went through all of their livestock, and we saved the best so that when we sin against you in the future, we'll have something to offer. We'll have some good sacrifices to offer. I mean, well, think about it. Does God want the sacrifices of the enemy to be offered for sin? And, you know, the bottom line is that he, he's saying, you know, don't sin. I don't want you to sin. I don't even want you to be thinking about it. You're not in that kind of bondage. And when the church is not in that kind of bondage today where we have to be a slave to sin. In fact, that's what Romans says, that you once were a slave to sin, but God has set you free. And so in 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says that Samuel said, does the Lord have great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice. That's what he's saying. I don't need these sacrifices. I, I just really want your, I, I want your heart. I want a heart of obedience. He wants that today. That was true, you know, uh, however long this was written, you know, maybe uh, 3,500, 4,000 years ago. It was true then. It's true today. God doesn't want our sacrifices as much you know, as he wants our obedience. And then he goes on to say that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and we're going to come back to that, and stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. He says, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And then we move to First uh, Samuel chapter 16, and then we see that, um, that after Saul had been rejected as being king, that uh, the Lord sent uh, Samuel to the house of Jesse. And he asked for all of the young men to just kind of like line up. And all of the young men, he asked if all of the young men were there. And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And so he sent and brought him. And he was ruddy with bright eyes, good looking. And the Lord said to him, Arise and anoint him, this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Now, this is kind of like a Joseph. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament and his brothers? 
you know, how that they were envious and jealous of him. And they, he anointed him in front of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Well, remember that when David goes to David's uh, father, uh, Jesse asked him to go check on his brothers and take some cheese and some, you know, some wine and bread and things like that. And uh, remember how his brothers got on him? He said, you know, what are you doing here? You just came to watch the battle. You know, what are you doing here? I mean, he's already got the anointing of, of Samuel the prophet upon him. And so um, it says that from that day forward, the Spirit of God is upon him. And then in chapter uh, 16, verse 14, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord departed. As soon as the, the, the Spirit of God is, is on Jesse, it says the Spirit of the Lord, because of his disobedience, departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now, don't get hung up on that. Because you're thinking, you know, if God is good, why would he send an evil spirit? But it's like this. You know, some of you, you know, may have been from the Midwest, Texas and Oklahoma area. Where they have these storm shelters. Anybody ever been in a storm shelter before? I mean, it's like when the siren goes off, you know, I mean, the, the tornado's coming. You get out, of, you, you know, you're, ta you're taking cover. And it's like, you know, God's saying that when you're with me, I'm your covering. And not, I don't care what's going on outside. I don't care about... All the debris that's flying in the air, there can be telephone posts, fence posts, barbed wire, metal from buildings. I don't care about any of that stuff. It can, it can fly as hard as it wants to. As long as you're in the shelter, in the shelter of God, you're going to be protected. That's what God's saying. And so, you know, if you on your own saying, you know what, I don't believe God. You know, I'm going to just step outside and test the weather. I'm going to, I'm going to see which way the wind's blowing. Remember Dylan saying, you know, need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows? All right, it's kind of like that. It's like stepping out into the storm. You're doing it. And when you step out in the storm, you're going to reap the consequences of the storm. And that's what he's saying here, that when, when Saul left God, you know, when, when Saul says, you know what, I can do this on my own. I'm the king. There's a little bit of pride that goes into his life here as well. And he said, you know, I, I don't necessarily need God. I, I don't need the priest. I can make these offerings myself. And so this pride enters in, and when that happens, when he left God and being obedient to God, he stepped into this storm of this tormenting spirit. And this tormenting spirit is after him day after day after day. And it says that when the spirit of God comes upon uh, David, a tormenting spirit comes upon Saul. And his attendant says, see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servant here to search for someone who can play the lyre or a harp. And when he plays, the evil spirit uh, that, uh, that's tormenting you will depart and you will feel better. That's why I like many times that people come into church and through the worship and through the word and through you know, things that are said in church, you know, they feel good. But when you walk out the doors, life just becomes normal again. It's just like you go back to the same style, lifestyle that you've been living before, not being obedient to the Lord, being disobedient, being, being rebellious to the Lord. And so he says that let someone come and play the harp. And this is just a good place to segue from this scripture to another one, just for your information. David was a great harp player. He was a great musician. And it was known throughout the land. 
In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 16, it says that a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. That's exactly what happened. I mean, he was gifted, he was talented by the Lord to play the harp. And people recognized it and said, you know what? Get that young man and bring him into the presence of the king. And so we pick up again. David came to Saul, entered into a service. Saul liked him very much. David became one of his armor bearers. And Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David, this is Jesse as David's father, allow David to remain in my service for I'm pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp and Saul would feel better and the evil spirit would go away. And then we see in this uh, next chapter that David kills the giant. Remember the anointing is upon him and he kills the giant. And the king said, find out whose son this is, this young man is. And as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before before King Saul And David, still holding the head of the Philistine in his hand, he says, whose son are you, young man? And David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. And then we see that David goes out from time to time, coming back very successful in everything that he does because the Spirit of God, we've been talking about spiritual warfare, we spent five weeks talking about the, the Holy Spirit, the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit being in our lives. And David was successful in everything that he did because of the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when they'd go out to battle, David would have greater success because he had the anointing of the Holy Spirit than Saul, who did not have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It says, after David had killed the Philistine, the women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul, and they sing songs, and they dance with joy with tambourines and cymbals, And this is their song. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And this made Saul very angry. All right, so here we go. We started out with disobedience and pride and rebellion, and now we've entered into anger. And uh, what is this, he says? They have credited David with tens of thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll make him their king. And so from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye, keep that in mind, all right, pride, rebellion, anger, disobedience, Uh, now he's got, you know, now he's got jealous, he's got, you know, he's angry with David, he's got jealous in his life, he's opened the door, what I'm trying to tell you is that it started with one thing, it started with pride and started with his rebellion and his disobedience to the word of God, and it was a downhill slide from there. And all of these things seem to be multiplying in his life. And then I read in uh, 1 Samuel 18, the next day, the tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman while David was playing the harp as he did each day. But Saul had a spear in his hand, and suddenly he hurled it, intending to pin him. Another word for that would be to kill him. Uh, But David escaped him twice. So you see how this thing is multiplying. You know, anger and jealousy and rage, and now he wants to kill him. And Saul sent some of his men to David's house to try to kill him in the morning, but Michal, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. And so Michal let David down through a window, and he fled and escaped. 
And Michal took and listen to this, an idol, an idol. I mean, that was, that was absolutely to be abhorred in Israel. You weren't supposed to have any idols in your house. I mean, that was, you know, uh, worshiping like the gods of the, or worshiping, worshiping the gods of the, the nation that God had driven out before them. Get rid of all of these idols. Get rid of these things. But Michal had an idol in her house, in Saul's house, and she laid it on a bed and she covered it. Apparently it looked like a man. And she covered it with a garment and put some clothing on it and put goat's hair on the head. And when the men came to check it out, they found out it was an idol, and it really made Saul furious. And then the next step that we see, this downward spiral in Saul's life, was that he tried to pray to God, going out against a great battle, tried to pray to God, but God wasn't answering him. And so he resorts to this. It says, Saul prayed to God, but God didn't answer, neither by dream or sign nor prophet, so Saul ordered his officials, find someone who can call up the spirits, that would be a medium or a witch, so I may go and seek counsel from those spirits. And his servant says, there is a witch at Endor. And so now he's not, you know, he, he's gone from all of these things, all of these things are escalating. It just started out with one thing, and that was being disobedient to God's word. Disobedient to God's word, pride, rebellion, um, anger, jealousy, murder in his heart. Now he's entering into the occult, and uh, it says that Saul goes out to battle the next day. The archers overtook Saul and wounded him badly. He groaned to his uh, armor bearer, kill me with your sword before these heathen Philistines capture me and torture me. But his armor bearer was afraid to do so, so Saul took his own life. It, fell on his sword, and he took his own life. And that is the end. Remember what we said, that the thief has come to rob and to steal and to kill and to destroy. And we see that just by one simple disobedience of God's word, that that's how it ended for King Saul. You know, it, this will drive you, the, the disobedience and entering into all of these things. This is, I mean, it's a progressive step, and it will lead you. And it leads you down this road where... You don't feel good about yourself. Your self-esteem is low. You have depression. Uh, you start having these suicidal thoughts. I've shared with many of you. Some of you are maybe new to the congregation, but there was a time in my life when, I mean, life could not have been better for me. I was a believer in Jesus Christ. I felt like I was a strong believer. I had a good prayer life. I had uh, a good, uh, you know, Bible reading time. I had a wonderful, and still do, wife, uh, Two, 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 uh, two children. Uh, we just bought a new house. I mean, our finances were good. Everything was good. I was a good sleeper. I mean, I was the kind of guy that, you know, when I'd lay my head on the pillow at night, I would wake up in the same position in the morning. I'd never roll. I'd never toss. I'd never turn. I mean, I just like, I was out. But one night, one night, in the middle of all of this, all of this is going on in my life, I, about 2 o'clock in the morning, there was like this shaking of, of my chest, and I woke up, and the words that I heard were words that I could not forget for the next six months, and that was go to the closet and get your gun and blow your brains out. And I just, I just like, man, I, just, I knew about God, but I did not know about the devil. 
And I didn't. I thought, man, dude, you are losing your mind. You are going crazy. You are losing your mind. And I thought, you know, you need to check yourself into a mental institution. You need to get you get rid of the gun. You know, you. I mean, you know, you're losing it. You're either, you're going to destroy yourself or somebody else. And uh, and I couldn't read my my prayers were just about they'd go about this far. The Bible talks about the heavens being a bronze above us. I mean, my prayers would, would wouldn't reach the ceiling of this room. I mean, there was no. There was no answering my prayers. I couldn't break through to God. I couldn't read the Word of God. I couldn't pray. It was just like, you know, God seemed so distant from me. And I just, I was thinking that, you know, just like when I tried to pray, I couldn't reach God. When I tried to read the Word, it meant nothing to me. But I kept pressing in. I told, you know, my pastor, who was uh, Nina's dad at that time, you know, it was like, you know, I told him, I said, I feel like I'm losing my mind. I feel like I'm going crazy. I feel like I want to commit suicide. You know what he said? I love the guy, but he said, just get over it. I'm thinking, dang, I should have thought of that. Man, I've been trying to get over it. I've been trying to get over it for six months. I'm going crazy. I'm losing my mind, and somebody tells me, just get over it. No, I can't get over it. That's why I'm here. I need some help. I can't get over it. And then one night, I'm lying in bed, and I begin to read the Word of God, and I turn to Luke chapter 4, where Jesus is being tested by the devil. And the devil, the first thing he says is, you know, you've been fasting for 40 days. Turn that stone into bread. And Jesus wouldn't do it. And then he says, you know, it led him, he led him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Satan is showing this to Jesus and said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus wouldn't do it. He, he says, get thee behind me, Satan. And then he says, he led him to the pinnacle of the temple. And this is where it really kicked in for me, guys. Because I didn't know what the pinnacle of the temple was. It says he told him to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. I didn't know what that was. I thought that was a, okay, I jumped off the pinnacle of the temple. But when I looked in my notes, it said that the pinnacle of the temple was about 300 feet tall. It was about 300 feet high. That's like jumping off, you know, from one end of the football field to the other end of the football field. And I thought, my God, you know what? Wait a second, wait a second. Satan is trying to get Jesus to take his life. Nobody's going to survive that. Nobody's going to fall 300 feet and survive that. And so what Satan was trying to do is he was trying to see if Jesus would survive. He was tempting him with suicide. You know, take your life. Jump off of this thing. And, you know, if you die, you know, maybe they'll raise you up. Maybe you'll live again. Or maybe you won't die. And Jesus said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. And I tell you what. Man, that, that resonated with me and it clicked in my heart because I felt like, you know, now I know that I'm not losing my mind. I know that I'm not going crazy. I know what I know is there's a thief that somehow has entered into my life and he has come to rob and to steal and to kill and to destroy me. And he wants to destroy me. He wants me to destroy myself. And some of you have had those same thoughts in your life, you know, that you'd be better off dead then you are alive. And I want to tell you, that is a lie from Satan. He's trying to get you to destroy yourself because he does not want you to fulfill God's plan and purpose in your life. But I want to just tell you what I did, and it'll work for you. I promise you. I promise you with my life, this will work for you if you listen to it. What I did is what Jesus did. When that thought came to me, and I said, not, it was like, you know, take your life, kill yourself. I said, Satan, you get away from me. Get thee behind me, Satan, in Jesus' name. You get away from me. And I tell you what, 
I could hear demons screaming. I could hear demons fleeing. I could hear them running. I could hear screeches and screams and howls. And they were getting out of my life. And my life was being cleaned up. And I tell you what, anytime, every, anytime any temptation comes into my life, that's what I say and that's what you need to say as well because it works. It works. And so we move to it. I'm going to wrap this up with Peter. But we see Peter, and you know, I mean, Peter was number one. It was Peter, James, and John. Anytime you hear this, it was Peter, James, and John. Peter was always number one. Peter's the one that said, you know, uh, when Jesus said, who, who do men say that I am? And he said, you know, you're the, you're the Christ, the Messiah. You're the living, you're the living Son of God. And uh, it was Peter that said, when uh, Peter said, Lord, is that you walking on the water? If that's really you, let me out of the boat. I'm going to come and join you. And, you know, Jesus said, come on, come on. And, I mean, Peter was, you know, he was always there. But when Jesus said that he needed to go up to Jerusalem, And he was going to be crucified. And I'll pick up here. I'm going to show you just a couple of examples. First one from Matthew 26. It says, And Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and said, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, Peter had a couple of names, you know, um, that he was called, and uh, I'm sure Satan wasn't one of the ones that he wanted to be called by. And then we see again in Matthew 26, Peter, Peter says, Lord, even if, if all of these, if, and he's pointing to the rest of the disciples, he said, if, if the rest of these guys fall away, he said, I won't. He says, he said, I tell you, he says, uh, Jesus said, I'm telling you, Peter, he said, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. You know what? I mean, when the water got hot, Peter was the first one to bail. I mean, he was leaving the other disciples in the dust. I mean, he was so far out of there, he couldn't even see them, even in his rearview mirror. I mean, he was gone. And all of this was pride. This was Peter in his own pride and his own his own strength saying, you know, Lord, I'm with you. I'm with you all the way. And then later on in Luke chapter uh, uh, 22, at starting at verse 31, Jesus said to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, listen to this. Satan has asked. He's asked permission. And see, the only way that Satan can ask permission is if he knows that it's going to be granted. And remember when Satan tried to get to Joel and, and, uh, and, and you know, Satan kept going back to God and he kept, he kept saying, I, I can't get to him because you won't let me. You won't let me get in. You have put a hedge around him that I can't get through. And the Lord began to say, okay, I'll remove a little bit of the hedge and I'll let you in here. And then Satan came back and says, well, you need to remove a little bit more so I can get in. And the Lord removes a little bit more. And Job still is faithful. He is faithful to, uh, to, to uh, Job is still faithful to the Lord. After everything that, that Job goes through, he remains faithful to the Lord. 
And so Satan comes and says, kind of like coming, you know, uh, Job coming, uh, you know, on behalf of Job. And he says, uh, Jesus says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. That means to just bring you to destruction. Why would he do that? See, I believe that just like King Saul, that Peter had opened up the door through his pride. I can do it, Lord. They'll all, they'll all forsake you. I won't. I'll never forsake you. I'll, I'll always be there. But he was trusting in his own strength. And Jesus says, Peter, I prayed for you. And he says that your faith will not fail. And when you've turned back, see, he knew that, he, he knew that Peter, remember how Peter walked away? He denied the Lord three times. He walks away, walks away bitter, walks away crying. And it's Jesus that has to go and find Peter. Peter didn't go back looking for Jesus. It's Jesus that comes and finds Peter. And he says that when your faith, he says, when you're, I, I prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail. And when, when you come back, go back and strengthen your brothers. And so, guys, I'm going to just tell you that, and I'm going to, I'm going to skip some of this, but I just, want to, I just want to tell you that the consequence of our disobedience to God is a downward spiral from witchcraft, rebellion, re witchcraft, iniquity, idolatry, pride and anger and jealous, murder in our hearts, unforgiveness in our hearts, uh, the, going to the occult, can't hear from God, this depression, this suicide, being tormented. In Matthew chapter 18, remember about the man that, and I, I've got it on the screen, but we won't, I, you can just kind of scroll through it. But in Matthew chapter 18, the man that had the huge debt that had been forgiven him, but when someone came to him that had a lesser debt, it, he says that man began to choke him and threw him into prison. Uh, his friends went and told the master, he said, look, after you forgave him of this huge debt, you know, he went and threw this other guy into prison. And he says, um, his Lord was angry and delivered him to the tormentors. And that's what, exactly what happens to us when we, that's exactly what was going on in Saul's life. Saul was tormented. Remember what it said? He was tormented by an evil spirit. He had opened the door. He had allowed it to come in. So what do we do? You know, how, what do we do if, if uh, we find that, you know, God, you know, I, I've got something in my life. Something, sin has got a grip in my life. There's, you know, I'm, I'm in bondage to pornography or, or drugs or alcohol. I've got unforgiveness. I've got anger. I've got bitterness in my life. Uh, and I just can't seem to let it go. You know, it just keeps holding on to me. I just can't get past this. Um, you know, it's uh, in, the, in the book of Acts, it says that uh, when those that were saw the work of Paul and casting out of demons, uh, the sorcerers, those that were involved in witchcraft, those that were involved in the occult, took all of the articles that they had, put them in the street and burned those books, said it was about 50,000 pieces of silver. Even in today's market, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money in today's market. You know, if you've got something, you know, there are the three, three steps. And I want to lead you through all three of them, okay? Number one, you need to repent. I, you know, I, I shared this message about four or five years ago. The guy was telling me, he says, look, I, you know, he said, I'm troubled. You know, I come to church. I read my Bible. He says, I'm troubled. I'm troubled in my spirit. He said, I don't know what's going on. He says, I just don't have peace in my house. 
and we began to talk a little bit, and he said that he had little idols. He had little statues, little, little Buddha statues in his house. You know, I said, you get, get, get those things out of your house. You know, you can't have idols in your house. You know, if you've been involved in the occult before through Ouija boards or reading horoscopes or, you know, uh, astrology, not astronomy. Astronomy is the study of the stars, but the uh, astrology is the study of the stars to determine your, uh, your future. You know, God determines our future. Anything that you've ever done in the cult, you need to ask God. This is, how the, this is how the enemy, believe me, this is how the enemy gets a foothold in our lives. I mean, books and movies that we've seen, Harry Potter books, uh, movies that we've seen. You know, that uh, many of the movies today are just filled with the occult. If you've watched those movies, either willingly or just kind of like they flashed on the TV, you need to ask God to forgive you for that. So you repent. It's called repentance. Anything that you've ever done, unforgiveness, you know, sins that you've got in your life, they just want you to stand up right now. And we're just gonna, I'm just going to walk you through this. I Believe me, if you'll do this and you'll do this with the right heart, you will walk out those doors a different person than you came in. All right? And I don't, you know, I'm, I don't care what sin you have, how deep it is, how much bondage you have. No, there's nothing, no sin in this world that's greater than the power of our God. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so, you know, just think about your life. You know, is, it, is there anything in your life with regard to um, where you feel like you're in bondage? That you just can't, you keep confessing. This is one way that you'll know. You keep confessing the same sin over and over and over again and you keep thinking that you're going to get free from it, and you're not. I mean, that can be, you know, it can go from drugs to alcohol to painkillers, pain, uh, prescription medication. Um, it can be um, uh, pornography or adultery or fornication, uh, any sexual sins. It can be in that area right there where you're in bondage and you can't seem to get free. You just ask God right now, Father, in Jesus' name, forgive me. And you fill in that blank. And if you've ever, you know, been involved in... Uh, the occult, you know, through movies or board games or any of that stuff, you've opened yourself up to any kind of witchcraft, any kind of sorcery. You just ask, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that you'd forgive me. I renounce this. I, I renounce this and I reject this in Jesus' name. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for doing that. If you've got any anger, any bitterness in your heart, any unforgiveness in your heart, you do the same thing. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that you would Forgive me my sins, that, Lord, that you would forgive me for being angry. There might be, there, listen to me, there might be somebody that you have to call, that you've done somebody, somebody's done something wrong to you, or you've done something wrong to somebody else. And you may just have to just, uh, it may be hard, it may be a very difficult thing, but if you want to be set free, you need to make that call, go to that individual. It's so important in God's word that God, Jesus says, that when you're bringing your gift, when you're bringing your tithe and your offering to the Lord, don't even put it in the treasury. Go and be right, be made right with your brother. He says, when you're coming in and you want to give your gift and you remember that you have ought against something, somebody or something, you just leave that gift there and go and be right, be made right with your brother or your sister. Maybe it's a mother or a father. Maybe it's a broken relationship. You know who it is. You know who I'm speaking to this morning where there's a broken relationship in your life. You do the right thing. Maybe they don't want to talk to you Maybe they won't give you one sentence on the phone, but that one sentence should be, I'm sorry I hurt you and offended you. Please forgive me. And then the ball is in their court. It's, you know, it's out of your court. You've done what you know, God has required you to do. 
And so just take a moment. Just, Lord, search my heart. That's what David said. Search me. And Psalm 139 said, search me and try me, Lord. See if there's any wicked way in me. God, I just ask that you search us and try us, Lord. Is there pride in our life? Maybe we're just so proud about how successful we've been in life, Lord, and we think that we've done it all ourselves without recognizing you and giving you honor and glory and credit for what, you know, what we've done, what accomplishments in our life. Lord, we just ask for a breakthrough this morning. I'm asking you, Father, that you'd break every chain, every demonic force, Lord. And so right now, Lord, we collectively, we've asked you to forgive us our sins, and we've renounced the work of Satan in our life, and we say, Satan, get away from us in Jesus' name. Get out of my life in Jesus' name. I, I reject your power, your influence in my life in the name of Jesus right now. Um, Father, I ask that you would just come in by the power of your Holy Spirit that when the devil leaves, the Bible says that there is a void there. And Father, where that void is, I'm asking that you would fill me right now with your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill me up to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Lord, uh, where there's been anger and bitterness and jealousy and envy and strife and contention and all the works of the flesh, I ask that you to replace that with joy and gladness and goodness and, and faithfulness and gentleness and kindness, Lord God. Fill me with that. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our God is a great God, guys. He is an awesome God. We just offer him praise and honor and glory.